I'm Shelley Palmer. I'm Ross Martin. And you're listening to Think About This. The more you listen, the less you know. Shelley, what on earth has happened to responsibility? You know, Ross, when I was a kid, there was an inviolate sense of right and wrong. We were both brought up that way. The golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Even if you like to break the rules, which I kind of did as a kid, you knew you were breaking them and you knew what the rules were. And you always felt like there was something that you were responsible to that was bigger than you. It just feels like today we've devolved from a society that had a really good understanding of right and wrong to a society of winners and losers. That begs the question, who are you responsible to and what are you responsible for? That's what we're going to explore on this episode of Think About This. Hey, Ross. Shelly. We've got a Twitter handle. We do have a Twitter handle. You know what it is? At Think About This. That's a great Twitter handle, right? It seems like the right one to have. So we've got a whole bunch of followers, which is outstanding, but we're only following one person. Yeah, who is that person? It's Chrissy Teigen. It is Chrissy Teigen. And Chrissy, you told me if we only followed one person, Chrissy, and she followed us back, then we'd have millions of followers. Yeah, that was my plan. And how's that going? Well, so far, we don't have millions of followers. Yet. Yet. So Because? Uh, well, Chrissy hasn't followed us back. Let's give it one more week. And in the meantime, why don't you follow us at Think About This right there on Twitter. So, Ross, responsibility comes in a lot of flavors. There's personal responsibility. There's corporate responsibility. Facebook has been in the news on both levels. Just a little bit. Just a little. You got people thinking that Mark Zuckerberg is personally responsible for what's going on. We're holding Facebook responsible for what's going on. Facebook's employees are holding Facebook responsible for what's going on. That's right. Publicly. Publicly, yeah. The open letter. We can get to the bottom of this. Well, there's only one way. So what people don't know, Ross, is that you and I have a very close personal friend who's pretty high up the food chain at Facebook. <laughs> she is. So we're going to bring Carolyn Everson on in a couple of seconds. And I think it's it's time to ask some real questions. Hey, Carolyn, like, what are you responsible for? What's Facebook responsible for? Because otherwise, we're not really going to know. No, this can't be a friend moment. Yeah. I think we're going to have to actually broil. Broiling. Charbroil. Better than frying. Yeah, better than frying. <laughs> I mean, look, every day she's faced with unfriendly opposition. Yeah, she really is. Uh, but I think we have a responsibility here on our podcast, especially the responsibility episode of our podcast. Well, mostly because everyone thinks we are going to throw fast pitch underhand softballs directly over the plate. Rainbows and unicorns. That's what's going to happen here, that we're just going to give her a free pass. Lollipops and ice cream. Ain't happening here. No. No. We have a responsibility to do better than that, don't we? Well, we're going to find out. Here she comes. <laughs> here she comes. We're sitting here with Carolyn Everson, who is the Vice President of Global Marketing Solutions for Facebook. If you ask me, her job is to make money for the company. That's not the right way to say it. She's not going to like that. Nope. Okay. What's your job? First of all, I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> We're yeah. happy to it's, have it's you great here. To see both of you. Say, I've kn- we've both known Carolyn for a very long time. I think that's important. Yeah. Never once have I seen her nervous. Not once Not before once. right now because she knows that we are her friends and we would never say anything to hurt her. Right. Never. But I'm fully expecting this to be a very <laughs> tough conversation, We're which is easy. Fine. I've I'm seen you go against the toughest of the tough. I'm We're happy easy. to have it. Let so, me put it this way. I'm good cop in this situation. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, wow, Thank Ross, you, Ross. I was going to be good cop. We're in trouble now. So no, my job is not to make money. What's your job? 
My job is to represent Facebook and help business leaders, NGOs around the world understand how to grow their business given the digital transformation. That's my job. I never say that I'm in sales. I love that. Yeah, I like that too. That sounds so professional. I try to be. 26 years into it, I'm trying. (laughs) So Carolyn, Facebook's been in the news recently, and I want to cut right to it. Politicians figured something out. You could get elected on Facebook, but they also figured out, and probably more important to them, you can get unelected. That has got their undivided attention, and Mark has been put, I think, in an untenable position. And I just want to say that I do have a bias in this conversation before we start, because I'm going to ask some questions that I think people expect me to ask. But I don't want to be accused of being too soft, and I don't want to be accused of being too on the side of Facebook. I'm not on anybody's side here, to tell you the truth. I'm on the side of society and humanity in a serious way. Mark Zuckerberg had the ability to get Hillary Clinton elected or to get Donald Trump elected by simply deciding what to put in news feeds in very specific places. And of course, he didn't do that. If he did that, he would have gone to jail because that's patently illegal. And if it isn't, it would have been made illegal and people would have gone crazy. Facebook took a position that was exactly the opposite of that. Free speech, free everything, let it go. Let's just, we're a platform. We're not going to make any editorial comments. If it's not crazy outside the parameters of our policy, we're not going to mess with it. And it got hauled in front of Congress. Now, I think getting hauled in front of Congress is a lot better than getting hauled to jail. That's the way I understand what has happened. Now, you guys have been in the news because the Biden campaign called you up and said, Trump is just spewing complete fallacies about us and we want you to take the ad down. And Facebook said, "Mm, don't think so. And I just need you to defend it. Sure. Well, first of all, I actually think we should be in the news. A platform of our size and relevance, we should be scrutinized and we should be in the news. And so I think that is where we have been for the last few years. And I think it's where we're going to continue to be. And it's a little bit about the price of being relevant in today's society. And when you're in the center of a lot of geopolitical and societal issues, you deserve scrutiny. We deserve scrutiny at Facebook. And Mark's, you know, going to Congress, I think he has been happy to do that, um, to defend really some core principles. One is freedom of expression. Now, you brought up the Biden ad. So why don't we take it down? In some ways, it would look at simply, well, of course, if, if, if we knew, if we were the arbiter of all truths, and if Mark Zuckerberg was actually in the room with Joe Biden or Trump or any conversation with Ukraine and had facts to determine whether what was true or what was not, That's just simply not what's happening here. We don't know what is true or false. And if you go before Facebook ever existed 15 years ago, for decades, political advertising has not been monitored. The FCC has made it very clear by law that broadcasters are not allowed to censor or change political advertising. And we have chosen to follow that, even though we are not required to do so by the FCC, as has all of the other platforms, because we think it's very dangerous for a tech company, a CEO, or any private or public company to determine what is true and what is false. And so that ad is going to continue to run just as Elizabeth Warren's response to us running that ad, which said we endorsed Trump as Facebook, which I can tell you is categorically not true. I have factual information that it is not true. But if you're going to let the one ad run, you're going to let the other ad so run. So for our listeners, can you walk us through what happened with Elizabeth Warren? She was, I think, responding to the fact that we had run the Trump ad about Biden and didn't take it down. And so her response was, I think, to test, well, I'm going to try to run an ad and I'm going to see if, if it is false. I'm going to see if people run it. And she ran an ad essentially saying that Facebook endorsed Trump for the 2020 election. 
that I can tell you is categorically false. Mark has said that. He has not endorsed Trump. He has not endorsed anybody for the election. But we, if you're going to run the one ad, you're going to run the other ad because it is a principle of allowing political ads to run and not be the arbiter of truth. So you ran an ad that you knew was patently false, making claims about you and Facebook, but you ran it anyway. Were you in the room making that decision? I was not in the room when that decision was made. How do you feel about that decision? So how do I feel about it? Look, in the idealistic Carolyn world, which you both have known me for a very long time, I wish that politicians did not lie in their advertising. But politicians have been, you know, somehow distorting the truth, let's just say that, in many advertisements for decades. And so we are not in a position to suddenly change the way political ads and free expression has been running in this country. And so while in my idealistic way, I'd love these things to be true, I want society to be well informed and have accurate information. That is simply just not the case. And so the one thing that I'm proud of is at least when we have a policy that we stand behind it, it's a principled decision. Because could you imagine if we said, well, wait a second, if it's just about if it's Facebook and we know that that's not true, we're definitely not running it. We would have no credibility. So you have to stand behind the principles of your decision. I think they thought you were going to do that. You talk about the FCC and you talk about other platforms. And I'm going to push back and say that's absolutely apples and oranges. You can talk about, well, this is what NBC, ABC, CBS and Fox have to deal with, or this is what the Times and the Post have to deal with. These are minuscule, tiny operations comparatively. There's nothing ever in the history of the universe that has been the size of Facebook, had its reach, had its capability to affect the way you behave, adapted to your behaviors. The newspapers don't. If you decide you don't want to read the paper, you you log off and you're done. Facebook isn't like that. Facebook is like nothing that has ever existed. And so you can't look at the FCC, which was constructed to deal with technology that has no similarity at all to Facebook, other than the fact that there's audio, video, and graphics. Other than that, there is no similarity between these platforms. So I'm going to just push back and say, I get that you're allowed to hide behind that. You might not know how to lead, but following makes no sense to me. I think that is precisely why Mark has asked for more regulation in these areas. He's asked for more regulation around privacy, data portability, content, what kind of content is allowed and should be allowed on platforms, and election integrity. And so... It's not that I will sit here and disagree with you that the FCC is is the perfect ruling for all platforms going forward. Right. But we also don't think Facebook should be the one deciding what the new ruling should be and judging that on behalf of ourselves. We think that that should come from a government regulation or institution. This is so controversial and so dangerous and so divisive. Why do you even take political advertising? Do you need to do it? We certainly don't need to take political advertising, and it is not an economic decision. I can assure you, as someone that is very responsible for the revenue of the company, in many ways, I would argue that it could hurt us more that we take political advertising. Well, it seems to not be great at the moment. We have a lot of people, you know, we have employees, obviously, that have some concerns. And so on one hand, it would be the easy decision to just say, stop taking it. But like with anything, you have to say, okay, well, what are the consequences of that decision? And unfortunately, the consequences are that typically incumbents, people or people with more money, more access to media and power, we will do better in a world where they don't have access to Facebook advertising. It is the smaller city uh, elections, the mayoral candidates, countries around the world where candidates don't have the resources that some of our candidates here in the U.S. do. 
that depend on our platform to reach their constituents. And we have seen that be incredibly important. More women ran for Congress in this midterm election here in the United States, and many of them utilize the platform for really positive reasons to be transparent, speak with their constituents, be able to reach them for effectively on advertising. And so the consequences of, again, taking political advertising completely away is that we will have fewer people running. The people that will be running will typically be incumbents and they will have access to more money. And we don't think that's a good thing either. So what do we do? If you look at the letter, the petition from some of the employees, some of the things that they're suggesting are really smart suggestions, right? They are pushing on, are we being as transparent as we possibly can? Interestingly enough, post the 2016 election, we wound up building an ads library, which all ads now for seven years are archived on Facebook. Political ads have even an extra level of transparency. Mm -hmm. Who has paid for them? Who are they targeting? All of the creative. Now we have a political spend tracker, so you can see how much Trump is spending. You can see about all the candidates. Go right in and access all of their ads. We have the most transparent political ad platform in the world. That's good. But is there more we can do? Can we be even more explicit when political ads are being shown to people that at least they understand? It's sort of like buyer beware. Be careful as you're reading or watching this ad. And so the employee suggestions, those are ongoing discussions, and those are all positive things, and we welcome that feedback. Is Facebook a publisher? Is it a platform? And do you guys have responsibility to be one or the other? So I think this this longstanding debate as to like what is Facebook has really come down to, depending on whatever word comes out of my mouth or Mark or Cheryl's mouth about what we are, mm-hmm. people make assumptions that we're saying that word to avoid responsibility for something else. So we do say we are a platform, but that does not mean that we shirk our responsibility for what is on the platform. And I do think, to be fair, we did not recognize the seriousness of our responsibility on that until about 20 post-2016 election. So I think the biggest cultural shift that I've seen in my nine years is the real awakening of the gravity and the sense and the seriousness of our responsibility to keep people safe and secure in our platform, which means we have been much more diligent about hiring 35,000 people to do checking and making people safe and secure on the platform. It means that we now do a community transparency report where we say, here's all the bad content on the platform, terrorist content, child exploitation, hate speech, gun content, opioid, you name it. Here's what we're doing to get it down. We give our scores, fully transparent. And so the recognition of the responsibility, that to me is more important than having a debate. Do you call us a media company, a technology company, a this or that? We are a platform, but that does not mean we shirk our responsibility. And I think sometimes when we're in these media conversations, we answer it that way. And the automatic assumption is they answered it because they don't accept their responsibility. And that's not true. On the one hand, you're responsible for the revenue of the company. Do you sometimes grapple with the enormity and gravity of your responsibility to culture, to history, to... So I definitely think about this all the time. I think about every single day that I wake up that it's both a privilege and honor, but an enormity of responsibility to, to to work at the company. Sometimes people think, well, you're, you work at Facebook, so you're a Facebook employee. Yes, but let's remember, I'm a mom of twin daughters that I want to have positive role model and be in a society that's civil and respectful of people's opinions. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm a neighbor. I'm a concerned global citizen. So I'm 
all of these other things, as are the other 40,000 plus Facebook employees who have to go home on the weekends and go to a family picnic and get asked questions about why did Facebook do this? Why is your policy this and that? And so I think everybody at Facebook is not just a Facebook employee. We're human beings first, which means we deeply care about the role we play. And there are days where, you know, it can be very discouraging when you, if you just read the news and think, oh my goodness, look, this is what people think about our platform. But then, you know, I have way more moments where I meet people around the world who say, you know, your platform either saved my life, changed my life, changed my community. I was at St. Jude Children's Research Center last week, and the CEO said, you are our most important corporate partner. You've helped us raise over $100 million. That's a really good moment. And I brought my daughter to that meeting and she, you know, she reads the news too, but she saw, wow, Facebook's making a difference. And so there are negative stories. And I think there will always be when you have 2.7 billion people on the platform, bad things are going to happen. I wish we lived in a really great society, but if Facebook were to go away tomorrow and there were only 2.7 billion people on this earth, there would be bad things that happen every single day. But the good outweighs the bad significantly. And I just don't think as a society, we talk enough about the good. Do you feel people know and understand what true north is, what the moral compass is inside the business? I think it's a great question. I think part of why Mark did the speech he did at Georgetown University and has been more visible of late is because we have not done a good enough job at telling our story and talking about, well, what do we really believe? We do really believe in free expression and giving people voice. That's clear. And I think every person at Facebook working there understands that, but that's at the highest level. What gets really hard is how difficult sometimes that can be. So there are things that are on the platform that would make you or me or any three of us cringe sometimes. Like how in the world could somebody think that and say that? And of course, if it incites harm or violence, we, we have to take it down. But in some cases, it doesn't. And it stays up because we believe in freedom of expression and voice. And I think whenever you have a belief system, it's always tested on the real limits of the, the right, edges, on the edge, right, right on the edge. Yep. Like, are you really going to stand by? It's the question you guys asked me earlier about why run the Elizabeth Warren ad when we factually know it's incorrect. Well, if your belief system says you're going to allow political ads to run and not fact check them, you better stand on that principle when it's at the edge. And so I do think that internally it's clear. I think externally we have to do a better job. And I think that is part of what you're seeing with Mark getting out a lot more and just putting it out there. This is what we believe. It's interesting, Carolyn, because Facebook isn't the cause of any of this. It is the reflection of the world in which we live. But now it quantifies it in a way it's never been quantified. We see things and we hear things we never heard or saw before. It screams for leadership. And there is every cliche in the world with great power comes great responsibility. I think that's from Spider-Man. I mean, it's not exactly. It's that's not okay. A, I've used it in my speeches but before. It, I literally think it's from <laughs> it Spider-Man. Spider yeah. I, so I don't know that this is the most profound, you know, Yoda-esque wisdom that you're going to have. It's, you know, comic book wisdom. But in practice, most of the people online on the planet have a Facebook account. Is it even possible for one human being, and this is Mark who owns most of the stock, whose decisions are final and cannot be fired? I mean, can any human being deal with that level of power? He would say that he's asking for help. He's been asking for help. He's been asking for help from the regulatory environment. 
He instituted the oversight board. Mark does not believe that Facebook should be making decisions that are global and consequential in nature around content, around privacy, election integrity, and data portability. And those are just the four areas that we've touched on to date, and there'll likely be more. Because I think, you know, prior to 2016, we weren't even using the term election integrity as a society. And now we are. Mark is an incredible, humble leader who prizes, I think, one quality almost more than anything, which is intellectual curiosity. He asks questions. When you go to a meeting with him, he's mostly asking you questions. He goes out and meet with leaders around the world and different opinion leaders. He's asking questions. And so he is not the one. I think that is the media projecting that all the power is in with Mark Zuckerberg. He wants the help. Carolyn, you've been there for almost a decade. You could be doing anything right now. I would even hire you <laughs> to, to be our third co-host on the podcast. I would love that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm available. Why do you stay? I stay because I love what I'm doing and I'm learning. When I took this job almost nine years ago, first of all, it was just Facebook and it was a desktop company and I had less than 100 people on my team. And now almost nine years later, it is Facebook, it's Instagram, it's WhatsApp, it's Messenger, it's Oculus. We're in the center of every geopolitical and societal conversation. I'm learning about policy. I'm learning about history where we can use history to understand the decisions we're making. And so intellectually, it's crazy stimulating and I don't know where else I could go to have that kind of stimulation and also impact. It's a privilege to be able to represent the company and travel around the world and see the smallest entrepreneur mama in Kenya who has transformed her life because of the platform. Or in St. Jude's case, I went to go see it in Memphis. What they told me is that in India, the doctors for St. Jude are treating cancer via WhatsApp with their patients. So like those are moments where I'm like, okay, this is good. I'm making a difference. And I think, as you said before, Shelly, this has not ever been a platform like this. So I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Carolyn Everson, Vice President, Global Marketing Solutions for Facebook. Thank you so very much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Were we hard enough on Carolyn? Did we give Facebook a free pass on this one? <laughs> Is this like my buddy Carolyn and let's just, you know, hey, Carolyn, how are things at Facebook? Did we, did I don't we- think we were soft. And by the way, look, we have a responsibility to ask those questions and ask them in a real way. And she has a responsibility to be prepared for that, which she was. Yeah, she was. And do what she's supposed to do. But she did it in a way that was not just, I felt, intelligent and charismatic, but also kind of inspiring. I like the part where she said that Zuck is asking for help and asking to be regulated. I think that was... that. I don't know if I really understood that Well, before. that's never happened before. And I don't think it's happened before in the history of the universe. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. Mark Zuckerberg, like it or not, is a world leader. Yeah. And I don't just mean that because of the billions of people who have Facebook accounts or the billion people who are on Facebook right now. I mean it because the gross domestic product coming yeah. out of Facebook yeah. makes other nations look small. Yes. And I can't recall a time in modern history when a world leader has so publicly begun to grasp the enormity of his or her responsibility, stared that in the face, and then publicly admitted, I can't do this alone. I need help. I think learning that Mark understands that he doesn't know what's going to happen next is a little bit comforting. There are people who are calling to break up. 
Facebook. Like you hear that all the time, break up Facebook. But I don't know, 50 companies like Facebook wouldn't make me any more comfortable. I actually think it'd be harder to regulate because if you figured out what was wrong, getting 50 companies to line up be a lot harder than getting Facebook to line up. Well, again, it begs the question, not what is Facebook responsible for? No, but who is Facebook responsible to? Think about that. Hey, Shelly. Hey, Ross. Before Facebook. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you were using Yahoo Groups. Back in the day. Right. I was too, but also everybody was because it was free and you could use it for the calendar. You could use it for community posting. You could share. Yeah. It was, that was the epicenter of the universe. Well, people don't remember, but there was a time when Yahoo was, Yahoo was the Facebook of its day when, right. it, when it was a thing. And we know that also just by looking at the numbers, there were more than 10 million groups. Oh, yeah. And hundreds of millions of people using them. Yeah. Okay. Here's the problem. Beginning essentially now, you can't load any more content on there, um, which is fine because I don't think you or I are doing that. And I don't think anybody listening to this is using Yahoo Groups anymore. That's not the problem. Go ahead. The problem is this part of the statement from Yahoo. All previously posted content on the site will be permanently removed. Yeah. So that means everything you've got there. And I know we don't remember what we have there, but it's probably cool stuff. It's probably things if we were to go back in, we'd want to save. So think about this. It's gone. So think about this. What was a monster repository open to all to be searched and experienced and enjoyed as a historical document will now be destroyed. Yes, the information will live on local hard drives for those who get the memo and find out that they're supposed to download it. But it's 50 years from now or 100 years from now. And someone wants to understand the evolution of our society during the internet transition when we went from the space age to the information age. And that transition is documented by 115 million people in 10 million groups on Yahoo Groups. Well, it's no longer searchable. It doesn't exist. Because to save a few dollars in hard drives, in their infinite wisdom, Verizon, who owns Yahoo, decides, hey, you know what? We don't need it. As far as I'm concerned, that's book burning. That's the same as taking the Library of Alexandria and saying, hey, you know what? Let's just burn it down. We don't need it. But my question for you, especially on this episode, is who's responsible for that? Is it Verizon's responsibility? I am told by all of my technical friends, by every CTO that I work with, and by my own people, that storage is cheap. What are we talking about, Verizon? You're a multi-billion dollar company. For what we're going to lose versus what we're going to gain, you know what, Verizon? Be responsible. Be the guardian of history. Be the keeper of that information. If I could see a snapshot of 1520 right now, I think I would be enriched by that, and I think my own understanding of my society would be enriched by that. Aren't we responsible to posterity? Aren't we responsible to the future? And I think Yahoo should absolutely change that policy. It's not that I understand the importance of any individual post in those 115 million people's posts or the 10 million groups. It's that in 100 years, we're going to miss it. Think about that. 
Shelly, we have a website. We do. It's thinkaboutthis.fm. My favorite website of all websites ever made in the history of websites. Do you ever go there? I go there all the time. Would you encourage others to do so as well? I would insist that everyone within the sound of our voice go to thinkaboutthis.fm and subscribe to this podcast. See you there. Hey, Ross. Shelly. I know you're a man who appreciates both a fine whiskey and a crazy story. My favorite whiskey is Wolves Whiskey New from Los Angeles. Oh. And I do appreciate a fine story, so I'm looking forward to what you've got. Well, it turns out that there is a guy who was pulled over for DWI. Not cool. Not cool. DWI is really unfortunate. And he had a blood alcohol level of 0.2, which is twice the legal limit. 2x. Dude is going to jail. Well, yeah, you shouldn't be behind the wheel. Only there's one problem with this particular story. Uh-huh. Like the guy hadn't had a drink. Yeah, sure. Of course he didn't. No, not one taste. Shelly, nothing. Everybody says that when they get pulled over and they've been drinking, you say, no, I, I didn't. Of course I didn't. You say, I couldn't. <laughs> Only this guy. And let me guess, he couldn't walk a straight line either. No, he could do none of that. Failed the breathalyzer test, you know, blew a point two. So this guy has a thing called auto brewery syndrome. <laughs> what is that? No, nah, this is kind of crazy. So I told you I'm going to like this story. You have fermenting fungi and bacteria in your gut, and it produces alcohol. Mm. And it produces alcohol at such a level that you can be pulled over for DWI. You will present to the breathalyzer as drunk. You'll present to the cop as drunk. You will, in fact, be drunk. Let's just take the micro brewery of your gut. Yes, micro brewing in your gut. Auto brewery syndrome. To me, that that alone sounds like an opportunity. I'm a venture capitalist. I I think that could be the future of micro breweries. I love it. That seems like an opportunity to me. Yeah. If everybody can be their own brewery, don't you think that saves a lot of bottles and cans? <laughs> I think that's actually a pretty cool thing. But but think about this, Ross. Is he responsible for being drunk? Of course. Of course. And he should but go wait, to jail. He, he has a syndrome. He drove drunk, Shelly. It doesn't matter if he didn't have a drink. And by the way, I don't even believe that. But let's just say he's right. He didn't have a drink. He's still going to jail. You said he blew a point two. It's more than twice the legal limit for driving a vehicle. Are you going to tell me that this guy didn't know he was drunk? You don't have that much alcohol in your blood and think that you're driving a car sober? Think about that. Shelly, the end of another great episode. You did a wonderful job. Oh, you too, Ross. I was listening to one of our biggest fans, my cousin Rui in... Los Angeles, California. And how is Cousin Rui? Cousin Rui's great, and he pointed out the strength of the show is that we we tell it like it is, and we know what's what. That's awesome. We make people think about what this or that is. Uh-huh. And his point to me was that when you really think about it, hot dogs are tacos. And ketchup is a smoothie. Which makes trail mix a salad. And under that circumstance, then an onion ring is a donut. It's important to know what's what. If you think you know less today than you did before, (laughs) just wait for our next episode. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.